That's it. Open your Bible to the Gospel according to Luke, and then we'll go to the Lord's table together today. The title of the message is A House Divided. You're going to see what it means to be a Christianized nation. You're going to see it right in the passage today. And then I'm going to show you from a great and famous quote. Jesus has been teaching on prayer throughout the chapter, chapter 11. And now he gets to this portion, which is powerful. Luke 11, 14 to 23. 14 to 23. It'll be on the screen as well. House divided here now, the word of God. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant fallible word. Let's pray together. Father, we're here by divine appointment, so that means you will speak now something into each heart, regardless of age or station in life. Use this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Come. Now fount of every blessing, unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Three headings we're going to look at. Ready? Number one, we're going to look at the, under the house divided, we're going to look at the miracle. There's a miracle here, a miracle that took place, and it's acknowledged by what we would call enemy attestation. We've talked about that as as an apologetic, but miracle. Two, Messiah. Look at the Messiah very briefly on that. And finally, number three, the message. But before we do, there's something I want you to see. You're probably familiar with this term. You've seen it. I remember many years ago when I first saw it, I really didn't understand what it meant. I do now, um, having studied it. But we see it in this passage. It's called ad hominem. Just take a look at the term. You'll see it in, 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 in politics. You'll see it in, in debates. You'll, you'll see it in lots of places. What is it? It's from the Latin uh, that says to the person. It's an attack. It's not attacking what the person is actually saying, the position the person is holding. It's making a personal attack. It's an attack on a person. That's what's happening in this passage. Now, let's translate that into the current cultural context in which the church finds itself. What is it critical for the church to be doing as much as it is within our power, knowing that we will never do it perfectly? To practice what we It's critical. That's probably the number one objection that I hear from most people when I'm dealing with the unbelieving skeptic. What do they say? I look inside those windows. I've seen inside the church. Looks worse in there than it does out here. It's hard to argue. You see great Christian leaders in these catastrophic falls out of the sky. You see the infighting in in the churches between denominations, inside 
individual particular church buildings fussing and fighting. We will never, ever, ever, any longer, be the church that God has called us to be until we are no longer a house divided. Now, we'll talk about some of the things that do divide us, and there's a reason for some of those things when you look at it doctrinally. But, man, we have a whole lot lot more stuff that we have in common that we need to be united on, that we need to be putting our, our, our best foot forward. And we need to be concerned about the life that we're living. Yes, we do it imperfectly every single day, and God has grace for that. But it really matters. Do you know? Let me just give you this. I'll be real brief. A number of years ago when Clinton was president, the National Prayer Breakfast. Listen to this. This is powerful. And it really doesn't need any commentary. The issue of abortion was, was, was really hot at that time. And Mother Teresa came and she spoke. And you know how she spoke. She spoke against it. And when she finished speaking, the whole place rose. Except for the president and the vice president and, and their wives. Because it was obviously an opposition to, to, to what they believed in their stance. I forget the interviewer. So when the whole thing had ended and, and they were getting ready to leave, the, 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 one of the commentators, one of the interviewers, went to President Clinton. And he said, what's your response to something like that from Mother Teresa? And he said these words, it's hard to argue against a life so beautifully lived. That's a powerful testimony. That's, that's what the world needs to see in the church today. A life beautifully lived before the face. Yes, imperfectly. But we need to stop fighting and fussing about stuff that doesn't matter. That's a house divided. Okay? Here we go. Number one. Let's take a look at the miracle. We'll be very brief. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. Some said by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Okay, so notice what happens here. Uh, There's a couple things. How do we know a miracle took place? He couldn't speak. Now he can. So that's the first thing. The miracle is confirmed by the fact that the mute man spoke. But it's also confirmed. Notice this. When we we teach apologetically and apologetics are important, you can't start with apologetics, but but you want to get to apologetics. Because listen, you can't, you can't begin with apologetics. You can't begin to try to think that you're going to move somebody from their worldview, whatever that is, intellectually at the beginning. You've got to deal with cultural and you've got to deal with emotional first. You've got to, you've got to go there. Then we can move from that. Then we can deal with the intellectual. We do need to have the arguments and understand that. So what is one of the great apologetic arguments? It's called enemy attestation, right? When somebody who's absolutely opposed to something ends up going then over to the other side. Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul was an enemy of the church. What happened to, that's, that's, a, that's a question that the unbeliever can't answer. What happened to Saul? Well, you know what happened. You read it on the road to Damascus. But the world has no answer for it. This here, this is enemy attestation. What do the Pharisees, what do the Pharisees confirm about Jesus? The miracle took place. But, notice what they say. They say it was by the power of Satan. So demons are actually driven out. What was, the, what, was the, what was the driving force behind the promised Messiah? Because remember, judgment was coming. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So he has to be able to demonstrate before the watching world that the works of the devil are being destroyed. He was doing that. Remember, you have the story in the scriptures 2,000 years later when he defeated Satan with scripture in the wilderness. They didn't have that. They didn't know that that took place. 
He had to share that with someone. You have that story. But in front of the watching world, right then, in the middle of his ministry, he's casting out demons. Why? To show the watching world right there that he has control over what? All things, even the spiritual forces of darkness. So they confirm the fact that there's not denying the miracle. It took place. But here's what they're doing. Watch what they do. Don't miss this. And this happens today. Happens today. Beelzebub. That word just popped up, right? And you're reading that and you go, where did, what is, where did that? There's, there's some songs that, that sing about Beelzebub, right? I won't start singing it. Um, and I think some of you know which one I'm talking about right away, right? From Queen? I won't go any further. Beelzebub, master of the house. Why is it not defined? Because they understood what it meant. It was so well known back in the Old Testament times, they didn't need to define it. So now they're saying to Jesus, by the power of Be- by Satan, Beelzebub, that's how you're doing it, but you're doing it in an evil way. Uh-oh, now we have a problem. This is what we would call, you've heard about it, and people ask me, Pastor, did I commit the unpardonable sin? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Here it is, right here. Crediting Christ's work of casting out demons to the prince of demons. That's, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's what, you can blaspheme Jesus. There's a lot of stuff. But he said, this is where the line is drawn. And, and who is he drawing the line with? So we want to be careful when we're talking to the average individual. He's talking to the scholars, the religious scholars of the day, who had memorized perhaps all of sacred scripture, the, the, the entire Hebrew Bible, and they're blaspheming. They understood Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, ascribing to evil, to the evil one, the supreme manifestation of good. Here's the passage, Mark 3, 28 and 29. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander, even slander on Jesus. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Okay, enough said. This is how far these guys were away from God. Remember what did Jesus say? You, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far. Back to the passage, verse 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Now, who are these people testing? Who are these people who are challenging him? These are the scholars. These are the religious leaders, just like today. I don't spend a whole... I, I spend time with blog, bloggers and chat rumors to, to talk and to try to share the gospel. But if you want to deal at an intellectual, you deal with scholarship. These are the scholars. These are the learned people. These are the ones who were, were studied under the leading rabbis of the day. So they understood what they were asking for and what they were talking about. They knew Isaiah. They probably knew Isaiah word for word for word. They're asking for a sign. Jesus just gave them a sign. People today ask for a sign. They say to me, you know, Pastor, you know, if I saw a bush that was burning and didn't burn up, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Look at the children of Israel that came out of Egypt after those ten plagues. Walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. And in a few days they were complaining about the menu. I don't like what's on the menu. We want to go back to Egypt. We had garlics and leeks and melons. But we were in bondage. We don't care. The menu. That's who we are. 
we're really messed up. Bush that's burning that didn't burn up wouldn't do a thing for us. Signs don't save us. Jesus does. But the sign, but watch, the sign is here. How do we know there's a sign that just took place? Look at Isaiah 35. Then what? This is the final kingdom. When a, when, do you know that justice will eventually be established? That that's coming. And the new, the new heavens and the new earth, that promise is coming. Do you know what's coming with all of that? The new kingdom. Watch this. Then will the lame leap. Had he been healing lame people? Yes. Those were signs. And then what? The mute tongue will shout for joy. He just did it. You got your sign. They didn't care. Savior, not signs, will save. That's the miracle. Number two, the Messiah. We'll be really brief on the Messiah. But I want you to see this from a very personal and pragmatic perspective. Watch this. Passage 17 in our chapter, verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, that can be as comforting as it can be challenging, right? We know Jesus knows our thoughts, but how does that make you feel about some of the stuff you were thinking? Maybe just this morning, on your way to church, pulling into the lot, walking through the door. Yet he knows the thoughts. But there's a comfort to that. What's the comfort? He knows your your deepest desires. Your greatest burdens. He's, he's there with you. We ought not to fear the stuff. I mean, we, we all think stuff we shouldn't think and do things we shouldn't do and say things we shouldn't say. We get that. Right? And I'm not sure if knowing that he knows that we knows all that, that that's what keeps us in check. I don't think that's it. That's not it. You never guilt anybody into... into Listen, the whole key in understanding the gospel, it's not, it's not a behavior modification. So to know that, that big brothers watch, that doesn't change anything. It's never behavior modification. It's a heart transformation. It's when you know how loved you are. That's when you begin to change. It's the only time you can begin to have victory over the abiding sins that are just wearing you out. Not knowing that God is watching and he hears. If No, you already know that. Functionally, you need to know that God loves you even when you're not loving him. That's the gospel. So he knew their thoughts. This really messed with them. Let's go, let's go back in time, right? I don't know when we were in chapter 5, maybe when the earth's crust cooled back in chapter 5. People say, man, pastor, you take a while to get through this stuff. I said, well, I'm not in any rush, and if I don't get to the end, somebody else will be in the pulpit and finish it up for me. I'm just here to walk through the the scriptures, one by one, passage by passage, and see what God has to say to us. Back in 522, notice this. This really messed with them. Jesus knew what they were thinking, right? This is, remember when he, the lame will walk, he heals the paralyzed guy. But before he heals him, what does he say? Son, your sins are, right, what a, what a, what a, what a striking story, right? Guy's laying there going, what? I didn't come, what? What's the matter with you? I didn't come here for that. I can't walk. 
But he says, sons, your sins are forgiven. They're thinking some crazy stuff in their minds. And he says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Then he goes on, which is easier, right? And then he proves he is who he says he is. So not only does he forgive sins, right? meets the deepest spiritual, what's the deepest spiritual need that everyone has? So the gospel meets the spiritual need, but also the gospel meets what? Physical needs. So that you would know that I am who I say I am. Rise, take up your mat, and go. There it is. But he knew what they were thinking in their heart. That is challenging at times, but beyond, it should be a great comfort to all of us. We have a God. Listen, why? Ooh, I'll give you something I did in a memorial service. I was talking about, we're talking about how broken we are. And I knew I had an audience who wasn't going to really buy into this. It was, it was, an, it was an audience really full of, of, of primarily martial artists and, and Eastern mysticism and philosophy, which is what I've come from. So I knew I had an audience that wasn't really going to buy into this. So I, made a, I, 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 I did an illustration. And we had screens. Not here. It was somewhere else. And I said, look up on the screens. And I want you to look on those screens. And I want you to put the last 30 days of your life up on that screen. Every thought, every word, and every action. And I want you to let that play. I promise you, when we finished the memorial service and we went out to greet people, there was a line. One after the other said, I, 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 had, I, I wasn't even listening to you till you pointed me to the screen. And I realized I don't even want to put the last day on the screen, let alone 30 days. Wow, I never realized how messed up I really was. Jesus knows how messed up we are, and he loves us anyway. That's the point of understanding that. I wouldn't put the last 30 days up there for you to see. I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it either. Why? Because we're that broken. But Jesus has watched every bit of it and is still there with us, loving us and lifting us up. Okay, what does this bring us to? Just give the final passage, uh, Dan. Revelation two twenty three. I am He who searches hearts and minds. What's the big word? It's a big theological word, but it just means that it's something that none of us have. It's only an attribute of God, right? You know the three big O words, right? The big O's, right? Omnipotence. God is all powerful and omnipresent. God is all present, right? Everywhere, and God is omniscient. He's all knowing. He knows everything. Okay. So that's, that's all this means. So this is the Messiah. Only the Messiah has that. You don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. The problem is sometimes we think we know what each other are thinking, right? And we impute wrong motives to the other person. And then we have to go, I wasn't, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. That's not. So we have to be careful. None of us are omniscient. We don't know what we're thinking. Leave that to God. We don't need, listen, you know what's good? There is a God and it's not you or me. So we leave that alone. God knows we don't. Okay? Number three. Here it is. Check this out. Here's the message. I want to show you. This is, when we have an opportunity to pull something like this out of a scripture, people say, I don't understand this Christianized nation. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It's not that hard to understand. I'm going to show you how easy it is to understand. We were, instead of saying we were a Christian nation, forget all that. We can say whatever we want. We were. But I can say, and then there can be no argument, we're a Christianized nation. What does it mean? The nation didn't make Christians but it kept the Christian framework, the biblical worldview, front and center. The major institutions of the culture did that, right? Our, our higher education institutions, any of them 300 years or older, were all founded on what? 
the Bible. They were extensions of the church. Go look at the original charters of Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Read them. You know what they are. They're founded by ministers. That's what they were. They were built upon the, as, as the word of God would flow, so our institution will flourish. Read those charters. So the institutions, the government, the politically, the government Christianized. Why? We had a, what's a worldview? It's just a, it's just a coherent understanding of making sense out of the world that we live in. What makes sense out of the world that we live in? Only the Christian worldview makes sense out of it. If somebody believes that they crawled out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids 10 billion years ago, how do they explain what they see in every human heart? There's no way to explain it. You have an understanding of it. What is it called? The fall. You know what happened. That's why we're broken. They have no explanation for it, yet every single person will say, well, no one's perfect. I know that. Why? We don't know why. Why, if you crawled out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids, do you care about the poor? Well, I just do. No, that's not good enough. Why? It's incoherent what you believe. We care about the poor because of the biblical worldview that we have. It makes sense out of the world that we live in. So you're going to see a nation that had a biblical worldview. And you're going to see how we were Christianized as a nation and no longer are we. It's gone. So we cannot evangelize the way we used to. We have no audience. Any kingdom divided will be ruined and a house divided will fall if Satan is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? You say I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Okay. A house divided. Some of you are thinking, aren't you? Yes, you are. Can you go back to June 16th, 1858? Some of you can. You can go all the way back to Springfield, Illinois, can't you? Yes, you can. And you can hear the echo in the back of your mind, the acceptance speech for the Republican Party's nomination for U.S. Senator. A house divided. The name of the man? Abraham Lincoln. Listen to Every time we go to Disney, we always go at least once a year, sometimes twice, every time. Oh, my children wear me out. No, no, and they're getting older and older and older. Brock is better now, but Poppy, are we going to the Hall of Presidents again? First of all, I go to sit down, I get a little sleep. Am I right, Brian? I get a little rest, all right? So I'm going. You want to go back to Splash and, and, Splash and Thunder Mountain? Go ahead, go ahead. I'll be right here. I'll mean, be back in an hour. I'll be right here. So I try to sit through it twice. I try to give the guy a little hit. I say, just leave me right here in the corner. Just let me stay through it twice. But there's an echo every time I get near Liberty Square in the magic, because I hear Lincoln's speech. And it reminds me of how Christianized we were as a nation. From the White House to the courthouse to the schoolhouse. But no more. Listen to the words. This they have in the Hall of Presidents. You know it. You've heard these. I love this. You can hear him. The house divided. Where did he get this? He got it from Jesus. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently. Half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. 
but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become lawful in all the states old as well as new, north as well as south. That's what it means to have lived in a Christianized nation. The biblical framework was present everywhere. And it was shared in every capacity and in every sphere of life. There was a time you had to raise your right hand and put your hand on the Bible in the court. Why? Why? You go back to the 13th century for that. Why, did, why was that believed? Because they believed the highest authority in the world was God, and God would cause you to speak the truth. Or you would have to deal with the wrath of God. You don't have to do that anymore. Bible's gone. There was a time when we were Christianized. But no, what did I just say about Jesus knowing your thoughts and loving you anyway? They just said to him, by Beelzebub, you cast out demons. What, what, if, if I'm Jesus, you know what I do at that point? (laughs) Gone. Fire down from heaven. Or maybe the ground opens up and swallows a bunch of them. Why? I have no time for these people. No, not Jesus. Not extermination, but an explanation. He, they just blaspheme the Holy Spirit and he pauses now because he's talking to everyone who's listening. He now gives an explanation to how ridiculous it is what they just said. Notice his apologetics. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub first, by whom do your followers drive them out? Because they believed some of their Pharisees were driving demons out. So then they will be your judges. So you're judged in the same fashion that you're judging me. However, they're not really driving them out. I am. So let me get to the point. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Why is the statement finger of God important? To his audience, they understood the scriptures. Go back with me to Exodus. Remember what the little magicians were saying to Pharaoh when they were being defeated soundly by the finger of God? What do they say? The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. We can't compete with this. That was at the time. Remember that this was, this was right. They, they, they could do a few miracles at the beginning. Remember, remember the goofy thing with the stick, right? The pole and the snakes and all that, that goofy stuff. We got to the plague of gnats and they went, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing we can do here. I have no idea where they came from. Well, we actually do. That's the finger of God at work. And Pharaoh's heart, listen, and Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not. See, it wasn't a sign that was going to save Pharaoh. It's not a sign that's going to save the unbelieving skeptic. It's only what? The Savior. He's the only one that saves. It's our job to share that gospel with them. Okay? So there's the finger of God. 
Notice how important that that is. Where do you also remember the finger of God being used? I need to be brief. We've got to get to the table. Where was the finger of God being used? Remember when the commandments were written? They were written by the finger of? So the commandments are written by the finger of God, and the curse is reversed by the finger of God. No. Does it strike you that that kind of language is used? If you were, look at it this way, right? You see all of the, 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 the influx of the superheroes, Movies that are out now, right? The last 10 years, right? And all the power that's in it and all that stuff. Imagine being in a battle, right? Some supernatural battle, but you were able to conquer with just a finger. That's the point of what's being said biblically. It's not even the whole being of God. It's it, it, it a finger. He's making a point. You, you have never even been exposed to the power of God. You have no idea who I really am. But by just a finger, the kingdom has come. Whew, man, don't mess with God. Don't do it. Now, this is the end here. Watch. And the opposite principles in Luke 9.50, if, if, if you remember, if we go back a little bit. But here in, in 21 and 22, 23, when a strong man, that's Satan, let's just run through it. When a strong man, that's Satan, is fully armed and he guards his own house and his possessions are safe. So this is the God of the world, right? The God of this age. God has given, the real God has given him power right now for that. But when someone's stronger, who's that? Say Savior. But when the Savior attacks and overpowers him, what did Jesus say when he sent them out two by two and they came back? Satan, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Every time that somebody you share the gospel with says, I believe, Satan falls like lightning. Got it? That's the power, the word of God. And he says, he takes away his armor and he divides up his spoils. What were the spoils of the kingdom of this this world? The spoils were you. So Jesus is reclaiming. He's taking his people back. He's taking them, raising them from death to life. But now, don't miss this. Ooh, ooh, this is important. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Okay, let me make a statement very clearly. You, you can't be neutral when it comes to being a disciple of Christ. I'm going to give you a great analogy. Some of you are going to go home and you're going to watch football later today. And that's okay. I'm going to watch them too. No, it's okay. So it's all right. It's good. But listen, to what's, listen I want, but you're going to see something. If you watch it closely, you're going to see something happen. And they're going to go, oh, man, that really rocked. There's what's called a neutral zone. Okay, so what's the neutral zone? The neutral zone is that space in between the offense and the defensive line. So you have your offense down there, right? And they're down on the ball. They're down on the ball. And they're getting ready to snap the ball. And you have the defense down on the ground like this. And they're in here. Sometimes they're too close. They're in the neutral zone. So when the line judge sees that, he throws a flag. It's an offense. It's an offense. It's a penalty. They get penalized for that. But they didn't really do anything bad. They didn't hit anyone. They, 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 they were just lined up. In the neutral zone. If you're lined up in the neutral zone, in the kingdom of God, it is an offense to the Almighty. And the flag has already been thrown. You cannot remain neutral when it comes to sharing 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how many people tell me this? I can't tell you how many. I can't count how many times. Well, pastor, you know, I've been listening to the, the word of God. I've been reading about it. I don't do this. 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 Whoo, praise God. What do you do? Is anything you're doing? Well, I'll get to that soon. No. You're in the neutral zone, and there's no neutral zone in the kingdom of God. Don't line up in the neutral zone. He says, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. There's nothing in between. I didn't say it. The book did. A house divided. Final passage. Check this out. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I need to make a point. We, in this, there was a time when the church conformed the culture. That time has passed. And what we're seeing now is the culture conforming the church. That has to stop. There is, no, there, there is no more urgent message that needs to be sent from every pulpit that we need to come together in unity. Denominationally, we need to come together. Yes, there are some things that divide, and we're going to see something in just a moment, and we're going to say something in just a moment that becomes important. I understand that. Yes, I'm reformed. I get all that. But we need to stop this. We need to come together on the things that we can come together on, and we need to be united on the things that we need to be united on, and we need to stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and back to back to show this world that the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne and not some individual denomination, not some individual church. We need to stop the fussing, and we need to come together where we can come. Do you know that you could be? I can get a rank pagan who knows not the Christ, hates God, and I can lock arms because that person's in agreement with me that abortion is a sin. And we can fight against that together. We have to come together where we have common ground and we must do that before it's too late. So here's a phrase. It's been given to a number of great minds, but there I'll show you the person who actually gets the credit for the phrase. And then I'm going to show it to you, what it really means. Rupertus Meldinus in 1627, he wrote a tract on Christian unity. You know this phrase, you've seen it. Many have used it time and time and time again, but we have to understand what it means. In essentials, this is Rupertus, essentials unity. In non-essentials liberty, in all things what? Okay, so what does it mean essentials? Yeah, there are some things. We're going to, see, we're going to do the Apostles' Creed. That's an essential. That's a biblical worldview. That's an essential. If you deny that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, guess what? We're not in agreement. We can still fight together. We can still, a lot of stuff we can still do, but we're not in agreement. You can't tell me that Jesus was a created being. You misunderstand where it says the only begotten of God. You misunderstand what that means. He's eternally self-existent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we're not in agreement on that, we have a problem. But we're sometimes fussing with people that raise their hands in the service. And shout, amen, glory. And people looking around, man, where did they come from? I like to hear an amen to glory. You know why? Let's me know you're not sleeping. Amen. We're fussing about stuff that doesn't matter. 
And we feel uncomfortable walking into a place when they're not the same color. It ain't matching up. This isn't the church. We need to be a picture of what it's going to be in heaven. And here's what we need to remember. Don't miss this. Nobody speaks from Sinai. And when we get to the other side by God's grace, we're going to realize that all of us had some of it wrong. Every single one of us. We've got to come together in charity and all things. House divided. Cannot stand. Your home cannot stand in your home. Husband and wives, fathers and mothers and sons and brothers and sisters. It won't stand. Church won't stand. House divided. Jesus made it clear. Lincoln was right. This nation was not going to This nation had to be all one or the other. It could not survive. Divided. And by God's grace, God's amazing grace, slavery was done away with. Praise his mighty name. God is, that's why we have to remember, we don't have to be so concerned about who's in the White House. Vote the way you should and serve the way. But God is overruling the White House. God is on the throne, and we need look to God and trust in God. He raises up kingdoms, and he takes them down. And in that time, at a time when the nation was going to be obliterated, God, with good godly men and women, stood up and said, we will no longer be a house divided. This must go. And it did. So, how do we close this? Paradoxically, I want you to see something. We're going to do the Apostles' Creed. You're going to see what it means in essentials. The essentials are in the Apostles' Creed. But watch here. Watch. It, 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 this is an illustration. Ready? We're going to fence the table, present the elements, and we're going to divide them up amongst ourselves. Paradoxically, we are never more united than we divide the Lord Jesus up. And partake together as a family of his body and of his blood spiritually. Never are we more united. So now is the time in the invitation of salvation. If you have never surrendered control to Christ, this is the moment. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, come to Christ. Not a physical work of, 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 of the human heart. This is not, this is not man's strength. This is a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, Come. I've paid the penalty for your sin. I've conquered not only the penalty, but the power and the pleasure. I am here, and I am calling you to come. Will you come to Christ? If you're not in Christ, let the plate pass. Let the plate pass by. Come see me after. We'll talk. But if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter where you worship. If you profess faith, take from the plate. Take the wafer. Wait till we get to the end. We're going to eat as a family. I'll raise my hand, take and eat, we'll eat together. Then the cup will come, take the cup, raise the cup. I'll say take and drink and we'll drink together. We're going to confess our sins in a moment. We'll say our Our Father together. If you have any questions, if you're visiting, seems a little strange, come to me. Let's talk through this. We don't want this to be an alien process to you. This is a family meal and it's given to us by Christ to strengthen us spiritually. So come if you're not partaking, come see me, okay? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We come to you right now and we say, 
we know that you're faithful to forgive, so we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We confess them to you. Hear now our confession. Father God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. Gather your whole church into the glory of your kingdom. We pray this in the name of the one who taught us all to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Before we go to the table, let me ask you this question, and here's an opportunity for you to see what it means to be united in essentials. I ask that you rise. Everyone here in this room, rise. Christian, I ask you this question. What do you believe? It's up on the screen for you. Let us recite it together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks and praise, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.